Our reading for today is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 16, starts from verse 19 down to 31. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was tor in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you receive your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Bible's open to Luke chapter 16. That would be great. I just want you to know, I'm sorry about this again, um, but the outlines that are there in, that, uh, in the printout is pretty much all wrong. Uh, once again, I had a very productive Saturday. I'm sorry about that. But as we come to this text, let's pray together that God will speak to us. Lord, we give you thanks that we are your church that we are the body that you have bought uh, through the price of your blood. And we thank you that you are our head, that you are our life source. And we pray that you will nourish us this morning as we come to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm sure many of you know this, but the names in the Bible are very significant. When God renews his covenant with Abram, he changes his name in Genesis chapter 17 from Abram to Abraham. Remember also when Jacob wrestles with the angel of God, he wins this blessing at the end, and his name is changed from Jacob to Israel. When Jesus calls Simon, Simon to be his disciple, he gives him a new name. He says, I will give you a new name, Cephas, or Peter. Uh, names in the Middle Eastern culture in the Bible is not something that we give to people um, so that it makes, uh, it, it makes it easy for us to call people. Now, it says something about who they are, something about their identity. So when God encounters his people, their identity is changed. And so God gives them new names. 
And isn't it significant what the names are in this text, in this story? One is simply called the rich man. The other one is called Lazarus. One is named and the other one is not. And we have to think, why? Why is this the case? Jesus doesn't give a a name to the rich man because the rich man is all that he is. He's a person who built his identity on the richness. This is what he strove for. He strove to be rich. And we get a glimpse of what his life was like. The rich man in verse 19 is dressed in, uh, in purple, uh, the color of royalty. He's in fine linen, actually. It's probably his in- indicating his underwear. It's not just the outer garment that was fine and rich, but actually his inward garment as well. If, if probably in, in our modern days, it would be silk, fine as silk. And we're told that he lived in luxury every day. It's literally, he feasted every day. He had this party every day. And we're told in verse 22, when he died, he was buried. The fact that he is rich, that he is a rich man, defines his life, actually, even in the afterlife. Just look at how he treats Lazarus. Verse 24. Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. You see, as he suffers in hell, he thinks that he could still order. He's still somehow superior to Lazarus. He says, could you send Lazarus down to serve me? He's a rich man. His wealth defines him. That's what he lived for, and that's how he sees himself. He needs no name because that's who he is. He's a rich man. And in contrast, Lazarus is named. While the rich man wears uh, this purple robe and fine linen, Lazarus is covered in sores, we're told in verse 20. While the rich man feasted every day, Lazarus goes perpetually hungry. He longs to eat what fell from the rich man's table. His sword are in such bad condition that dogs come and lick him. And he can't do anything about it. Anything about it. He's, so dis- he's disgusting in appearance and he's miserable in life. And while the rich man is given a proper burial, we're simply told that Lazarus died. We can't even be sure that he was given a burial. But that's the amazing thing. The rich man isn't named, but Lazarus is named. He is somebody to God. Jesus gives him this name, which doesn't, uh, he, he doesn't really do this in any other parables. The parables, uh, the characters in parables are not named, but Lazarus is named. It's Eli Azar. God is my help. That's what his name is. God is my help. He doesn't have any earthly possessions or positions in this world. But he is defined by his relationship with God. God is my help. At the core of his being, that's who he is because he's stripped of everything else. And he had to turn to God. And his identity is found in God. God is my help. And we read the, when we read this text, people usually ask, make this text something that it's not, which is uh, people want to know how we get to go to heaven. How is it that we're saved How is it that the rich man goes to hell, and why is it that Lazarus goes to heaven? Let me remove all confusion here. It's not because the rich man's rich, he goes to hell. And it's not because Lazarus is poor, he goes to heaven. No. The final destination really depends on where the person's identity lies. And you see, the rich man, once again, built his identity on on his richness. 
on his wealth. That's what he is. He is a rich man. And the other, Lazarus, he built his identity on God. God is his help. And that's why Lazarus goes to heaven. And that's why the rich man goes to hell. This makes even more sense, actually, when we turn to the context of this story, to the audience. If you have your Bibles open, actually, in chapter 16, just look, scroll over to the next page in the beginning of chapter 16. Jesus teaches people um, what, um, about this shrewd manager, a person who seems to do this sort of almost unethical thing to gain favor to his master, with his master. And Jesus concludes that parable with verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, and, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You see, that's the context. He just taught that you cannot serve both God and money. But then this is how people respond in verse 14. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. You see, Jesus was talking to people who loved money, who built their identities on money, who defined their relationship with money, uh, who were defined by their relationship with money, and they, they sneer at Jesus. They do not worship Jesus. You can't be saved if money is the goal of your life, if the meaning of your life, if the end of your life, if the purpose of your life is acquiring more wealth. If money is your idol, if your self-worth, if your identity comes from how much money that we have in our bank accounts, we cannot be saved. He's saying that what, what, needs to be, what, what needs to be defining thing in our life is our relationship with God. The fact that God is our help. So look at the names again. The rich man and God is my help. These are two very different names, and the names that summarize that really the essence of who these people were. We have all sorts of names here, and I know that your names don't probably summarize who you are. But think about what kind of thing that do you want on your tombstone? Maybe that's a good way of thinking about that. What will people, what, will, what do you want, and what do you want people to write on your tombstone? Rich man, famous person, or a father, mother, good person, a husband or wife, powerful person, ambitious person, whatever it is. What defines you? What do you want to have on that tombstone? Rico Tice always says, what do you daydream about? That's another way of thinking about that. What do you daydream about? What defines you? What drives you? What is a picture of life that you have in mind that drives all that you do? No matter what else you are, this parable says, Jesus says, you have to be a Christian. You have to be a Christian. Your relationship with Christ must define who you are in order to receive salvation. All that we do, the money that we earn, the power that we seek to have, that we can do these things if our relationship with Christ defines who we are because then we will use our power in the right way. We will use our money in the right way. We will be husband and wife in the right way if Christ defines our relationship. What defines you? And that's a very, very important question. What our identity is built on in the present because that will also determine your future. 
And at length, in this passage, than in any other passage, Jesus talks about heaven and hell. And think about what the decisive uh, turning point of the story is. It's in verse 22. After the setting here, verse 22, the, t- the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to, the, to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. You see, the, the big reversal of fortune that comes, one who had all the luxuries in this life, one who feasted every day, goes to Hades, hell. A place of torment and agony, a place pictured as burning with fire. And the other, who lived in agony and misery and hunger, is sent to Abraham's side to be comforted. And this all happens at their death. And how much of this picture of heaven and hell we should take as uh, literally or figuratively is really beside the point. The point is that they both die. The rich die, the poor die, and the great equalizer of death comes to all people. And there will be a whole new world after that. That's the point. It's what uh, the Hebrews writer in Hebrews 9.27 confirms. Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, we all live and die once, and the judgment comes after. And that's what Jesus is reminding us here. And heaven is a place of comfort. And the hell is a place of torment and agony. One rests, the one or the other cries out for mercy. And the thing to notice about this also is that judgment is permanent. It can't be reversed. Look at verse 26. Between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor anyone cross from here to... Uh, uh, from here, from there to us. The condition is permanent. No one can go from heaven to hell or hell uh, to heaven. There is no court of second appeal. And I hope you will think about this because we live in a world that wants to deny death, to, to, to prevent us from thinking about death. I listen to a whole bunch of different podcasts. One of the podcasts I listen to is called Fresh Air, and, and Terry Gross does these interviews. And uh, in this week, um, she interviewed a, a person named Caitlin Dowdy, who recently published a book um, called Smoke Gets in Your Eyes and Other Lessons, in the crem- uh, Other Lessons from the Crematory. She's a mortician. She works with dead bodies. And she said one of the things that she bemoans about our culture in the West, well, here in Hong Kong as well, I think, is that we avoid death, we deny death, we want to tuck death away from our, our everyday life. And she says, even as we say goodbye to our, 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 our loved ones, we don't actually spend that much time with the dead body. We see the dead body maybe for a little bit, for a couple of hours at the hospital as we say goodbye. And the body goes away, and it comes out for a couple of hours at the funeral home. That's it. And she thinks it's better to have a, she, she's an advocate for home funeral. And she wants, to, she wants us to spend time with the dead body for a few days, for a couple of days, um, to clean the body, to dress in, to brush the hair of the dead person. One of the reasons why she recommends this, uh, this, she says, is because when we do this, we're finally confronted with the fact that people die, that this person actually passed away, that there is this finality that we have to confront 
that we can't be numb towards death, she says. And I think that's a good question that we have to ask. Do we believe in death? Do we believe that we will die? And do we believe in the life to come, that this life will be radically different from this life? And if we believe this, this is the next question that I want to ask you and the point of this text. If we believe that there is a life to come after death, when do you want your good things in life? When do you want the good things, now or then? See, when Lazarus asks for some water, because he's in agony, he says, could you send somebody with, uh, with this water, Lazarus with water? Abraham replies in verse 25, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he's comforted here and you are in agony. Once again, you have to remember the rich man wanted and lived for good things in this life. And he got them. Everything that he wanted in this life, he got. Everything that this world had to offer, he got. But Lazarus didn't get any of those things. But he was offered the good things in the next life, in the eternal life. How about you? When do you want to receive the best things, the good things? Do you want it in this life? Is that what you are striving for, to get these in this life? Or do you want these good things in the life to come, in the eternal world to come? And I hope that the answer is in the life to come. And if that is uh, how you answer... Then the question is, are we living in such a way that shows that that's where our hope is? That we're investing in the life to come? Or are we living in such a way that says, you know, I have only one life and I need all the good things in life today, now. And if we know that there is a life to come, then that, that we, as we love and obey Christ, that Christ has guaranteed this kingdom to come kingdom for us, then couldn't we live self-sacrificially in this life? We can live self-sacrificially now because the kingdom is guaranteed for the future. We don't always have to be comfortable now, do we? We can give our money and time and energy away now because we're not expecting or wanting the best things in life now. We can be selfless because we're looking forward to the good things that God has prepared for us. God has won for us and guaranteed for us in the world to come. So I ask that question, when do we want the good things, in, in, uh, good things uh, now or in the eternal kingdom? And remember, we have a choice now, but this will not always be the case. Uh, when the rich man realizes that there is no hope, he asks Abraham to send Lazarus to his five brothers. He says, "Let him let him warn them so that they will not uh, they, they will so that they will not also come to this place of torment." But Abraham replies in verse twenty nine, "They have Moses and, and the prophets. Let them listen to them." The phrase Moses and the prophet really is short. Moses is the law and the prophets, and that's really the shorthand for the Old Testament, the Bible. 
Abraham says the Bible should be enough. The Old Testament should be enough for them. And the rich man protests. No, Father Abraham, but if somebody from, from the dead goes to them, they will repent, he says in verse 30. And to this, Abraham says, if they do not listen to, the Moses, um, to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced if someone rises from the dead. And Jesus intimates here that somebody will die and then rise again and will warn them, and he does. He goes to death and he comes back to life. But actually, even in Jesus' ministry, even after Jesus' resurrection, people still turn away. People are hard-hearted, aren't they? And people now, we all of us have the Old Testament and the New Testament. We have the risen Christ. And we must listen to the teachings of the Scripture. We must listen to the teachings of the one who gave all of himself. So let's, before we go on, let's just uh, think about what the Old Testament teaches, what the Scripture teaches about wealth. This is what Deuteronomy 14, 28 to 29 says. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the, t- uh, all the tithes of your pro- produce in the same year and lay it, up, lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourners, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns, shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work, your, uh, in all the work of your hands that you do. Proverbs 19.17 He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. Isaiah three fourteen to 15 The Lord entered into judgment against the elders and leaders of his people. It is you who have ruined my vineyard. The plunder from the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the faces of the poor? Declares the Lord, all, uh, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah 58, 6 to 7 Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor? Poor wanderer with the shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood. These places and many other places, God says, the Old Testament says, have mercy to the poor. Be compassionate. Share your wealth in this way. And Jesus has shown what it means to share by giving his entire life for us, sharing his riches with us. But the rich man failed to listen to the scriptures. You see, Lazarus lived at the gate of his house, and he longed to eat the crumbs under the table, which means that he didn't even put out a table when he feasted every day. He didn't put out a dish out for Lazarus or to cover the man's uh, sores. He had no pity, and yet he asks for it. In verse 24, Father Abraham, have pity on me. We must be compassionate people. We can't solve all the world's problems, but there are those who live at our gates, the people around us, and we must be mindful of these, the needs of the people around us, maybe the needs of the people in this church. Do we listen to God? Do we listen to the scripture? Do we listen to God when he puts certain people in our minds, certain causes in our hearts? Do we listen and act on them? And if you're wondering who you are in this story, we are all the rich man's brothers. 
who have a chance to listen to the Scripture, who have a chance to listen to the risen Christ, we have a choice. And as we end, let me just end with this thought. Um, when you were little, I'm sure you were given some sort of a piggy bank or some sort of a bank where you put coins in. I was given a bank when I was little. And then well, I grew up in Korea in primary school. Uh, the government was trying to encourage us to save money. And so uh, actually the bank came to the primary school and we all opened up a, a bank account. I know that's experience of many, many people that you, it's, it's, a, it's a sort of rite of passage to open up a bank account and, and your father or mother gives you allowance and goes, save some money. The reason why we go through, we all go through this sort of ritual is because we think that being prudent and wise means saving as much as we can for the future. We're told to save through the culture, through our upbringing, through, through everything around us. But this teaching, this story of Lazarus, and the story of the shrewd manager, the teachings of the scripture says that what's wise, what is, what is a good, prudent, and wise thing to do is to spend your money wisely. It's just the opposite of what the culture says. It's about how to spend money wisely. He teaches us to be compassionate towards people in need, to the needs of this world. To spend money not to gain the best things, the good things in this life, but to invest in the good things to come in the future kingdom. He tells us to listen to the scriptures and spend money wisely. We must listen to the teachings of the scripture. We must listen to the teachings of the one who has given everything for us. So think about whether... What, what's your mindset here? Are you going to go, are you thinking saving or are we, uh, are we going spending? And what are you teaching your children? Are you teaching your children just to save money for the future? Are you teaching your children to spend money wisely? And as we end, once again, let's just think about this. Rich man versus Lazarus. The rich man, God is my help. Think about that. On what? Are you building your identity? This world or in the next? When do you want your good things? And are we listening to the scripture? Are we just saving? Are we spending money wisely? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the kingdom that you have won for us. We thank you for the price you paid to win that kingdom for us. And we thank you that the riches now are guaranteed by the work that you have done. And may we be a people who are generous, people who live for that kingdom, people who long for that kingdom. Send us your spirit that we may be attentive to the teachings in the scripture. Send us your spirit that we may be attentive to the teachings that you're giving us even now. Shape and form us and help us to testify to the world. Help us to be witnesses to the world that your kingdom has already come, that it is coming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.